So, Lisa, I got to race for the first time in, gosh, I want to say almost two years, (laughs) at least a year and a half, at least a year and a half. Yeah, it's been a while. So had an incredible race weekend, had a great time uh, meeting up with my friends down in Williamsburg, Virginia. And it was just one of the most interesting race experiences I've ever had. Interesting. See, that's the that's the universal word for there's more to this story. So I think I want to hear all about your interesting race experience. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Well, let me tell you, Lisa, you know, the word interesting can be uh, value laden in certain ways. Sometimes we say it's interesting because it's Mm -hmm. not so great. And sometimes we say it's interesting because it's fabulous. Um, But yeah, this weekend I had the great opportunity uh, to go with my entire triathlon team down to Rev3 Williamsburg. And Rev3 is a, a chain of races. And they have a race each year uh, in July, <laughs> hell hot, um, in Williamsburg um, in June or July. It depends on what year it falls and which way the current is going. Um, and so this was my, I want to say my third time racing in Williamsburg. And it was mm-hmm. literally interesting from start to finish. I mean, okay. it was just something going on every time. And I need to process this whole thing with you. All right. Um, but the first thing kind of connects back to uh, our conversation with Sean Mark Anderson around, uh, you know, being an advocate, being someone who is in the social justice movement and uses their athleticism in that way. We had a kneeling incident, uh, and I'm going to call it an incident, not because of okay. the people who knelt, but the people who had a problem with those who knelt. Isn't ah, it? okay. Right. It's coming together now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it Well, and it was interesting, right? Because so one of my teammates said, Shauna, you really need to talk to this lady. And I'm like, okay, well, who is it? You know, what's, what's going on here? Because it sounded kind of juicy. I'm like, should I get my tea as I listen to this story? And so I met this wonderful person named Christy. Uh, she's also a JMU Duke, uh, which is great. We went to undergrad at the same institution out in right. Virginia. But what was interesting to me was that uh, she was at the swim start of our race on Sunday. And she took a knee with a friend uh, during the national anthem. Uh, They had a a paddle boat out there that had the flag and all the athletes are facing the water and and we are uh, listening to the anthem being played. And I didn't see it, but I was told about this. And so Christy knelt with her friend. Her friend knelt first. Uh, She works with disadvantaged youth. Uh, She identifies as a Christian woman and she is really inspirational in the work that she does that's really about social justice, the core of social justice with young people. And so Christy took a knee with her. And I just thought it was really interesting that a woman, a white woman who did not know her, did not know either one of them, took it upon herself to say how problematic that was and how disrespectful it was. And I'm thinking, really? Really? Like, really? (laughs) I kind of feel like, is that white spreading? 
Is that I think widespread- it, I th- it's widespreading or maybe whitesplaining, right? Because I'm sure she schooled um, them on why it was disrespectful to be kneeling for the flag. Well, and, and we've been past this rock before, Lisa. We've been past this rock before where we get into the conversation of uh, disrespect to military and veterans versus what Colin Kaepernick was really trying to do, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. to bring attention to pr- police brutality, especially in regards to black men, men of color. Um, and so, you know, we, we've been past that rock before. You and I, I don't think, should have that conversation anymore because we don't want to um, run an interference on what we were really talking about. Right. So, you know, so that's not the issue. But of course, this person is bringing up that issue. You know, the the observer is bringing up that issue, which really doesn't apply to why Christie's friend and Christie knelt. And so it was really like a, a replay Colin Kaepernick type moment that has not died yet. And so the woman told me how, you know, she started her swim and she basically thought about it her whole swim. She was so pissed off about it um, during this whole swim. And, you know, obviously she raced all day and still wanted to debrief it with me and another friend. Yeah, for sure. I'm just like, incredible. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We're, we're racing with these folks. And part of, I'm almost like equally offended, you know, obviously we're not going to see eye to eye, but again, why is it your business why someone chooses to kneel? Why? Just ugh. Yeah. Because well, because you know, white people like to make lots of things their business. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. That's true. That's true. And so, you know, that was really interesting. And so I'm I'm grateful that I got to connect with her and build a relationship with her. And we've been texting back and forth um, about the race and you know how she experienced it and what she feels like she should do next. Um, I just want to read a little snippet of something that she texted me and she gave me permission to do so. Um, But she said, you know, it's really uh, horrible. You know, why, why this is happening is really horrible. And so, you know, she says in the last part of her text to me, she said, if we don't recognize systemic racism and stand with each other, how are we going to change? I've been trying to process it, the incident, since we got home. As part of the multi-sport community, I feel responsibility to make a change there however I can. It was so incredibly cool to have Fast Chicks, my tri-team, uh, Fast Chicks and friends at the race. I want more of that. The fact that you trusted me and listened to my story about the kneeling. The fact that you trusted me and listened to my story was humbling and I appreciate you more than you know. And so, you know, given that, you know, this is a white woman who sees the need for kneeling and for other things. Mm-hmm. And so I just really, uh, I, I'm sad that she had to experience that and it possibly somewhat ruined part of her race um, because yeah. we've been waiting a long time yeah. to get back to racing and we want it to be fun. Yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, that was kind of the biggest thing that stuck out to me, but there were lots of other things that uh, even though this incident was very exclusive, there were a lot of other inclusive things that happened during the race. So I appreciate you, Christy, and that you trusted me with mm-hmm. your experience, but that sucks, man. I mean, that that just really sucks. Yeah, and I do think that's one of the struggles, isn't it, that many of us are thinking about how do we put kind of these ideas and thoughts and commitments to action? Um, mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this before around the, the risk of doing so, and obviously the risk varies depending on who you are and depending on the context that you're in, but her kneeling making the choice to kneel obviously had some risk associated with it whether she realized that before she did it I don't know but you know to be harangued uh, by this um, outside of this observer who doesn't know them like Mm -hmm. that's unsettling right so I'm absolutely not surprised that she carried that 
anger, frustration, confusion into the race and is still thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. because, Absolutely. You know, and so I think that prevents many of us from, for this example, kneeling with a national anthem yeah. at a triathlon or at another sporting event, you know, I think yeah. that, that has, that hesitates, right? Like I don't want to get harassed by someone. Yeah. I don't want to get harassed by someone. And also too, you know, let's be really clear. We, we participate in a relatively dangerous sport. You need to have your mind on what you're doing. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, it was, it was a warm day, uh, warm water beyond warm air temperature, but you know, we were in 80 degree, uh, water, which meant that, you know, most people went without wetsuits. You you need to be focused on what you're doing for your safety, the safety of people around you. And you're basically going to harass someone before they get in the water and they're supposed to be focused on what they're doing. Christy's a strong person for putting up with the bull um, and also uh, racing well, even as she's processing what's going on. Um, And Apparently she, she, uh, swam, biked and, and ran very fast, <laughs> but I can see if you're yeah. a little pissed off, you probably would. Um, yeah, so yeah, sure. that that's, uh, kudos to you, Christy, for being brave to do what you did, but also to, <laughs> to press through and continue to process it, um, in ways that hopefully, you know, this is practice, right? Yeah. Because the yeah. more we stand up, the more we're, we're going to be confronted. So let's not act like what Lisa and I talk about each week goes without resistance every day, of course. Now, sometimes right. it's not completely in right. your face, but I, I, Lisa, I, I appreciate even in the ugliness of that part of the race weekend that we can acknowledge that resistance is not a figure of the imagination. It happens. Yeah, it happens yeah. When you stand up for something. Absolutely. That person seems kind of energy vampire-esque right Mm. (laughs) particularly choosing right before a race to um pull all of that emotional energy from christy before she races so okay so i don't want to talk about that annoying woman who castigated (laughs) christy for her kneeling anymore um right but good good story good learning lesson i would love to know Mm -hmm. how your race experience was in terms of some of the inclusive aspects of it. Cause you've mentioned that a couple of times, right. And your club (sighs) fast chicks was there and I've seen the Facebook videos and they're fantastic. Um, (laughs) So like, what is it about this race? How did you, how did your team decide to go to it? Cause there's thousands of races you could have chosen from presumably. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and I didn't make the final decisions in any way at all. I kind of, sit on this board uh, for our fast chicks to kind of support Colonel, who has also been a guest on, on the podcast. Um, I support uh, Colonel Yvonne Spencer um, in her decision-making when it comes to steering this. And, and it's an official uh, 501c3 nonprofit. I think what's important about the decision-making was that it was a really great partnership between the race director and our tri-club president, you know, uh, Colonel and uh, Eric Updike really partnered and worked together to make sure that it was an offering that drew fast chicks there, drew team members there. And so there are lots of pieces to the puzzle there. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that the location was a big deal around this. Um, however, I would say that the offerings for race distances and options were very important. So not everybody shows up wanting to do a 70.3. Some people will want to do more than a sprint, for example. Maybe you have children, what have you. And so this is one of the few races that offers almost everything. It kind of reminds me of a running festival that offers a bunch of distances. Same thing with try. So the sprint distance, Olympic distance, 70.3 distance, 
all of those dif- distances with relay options. So if you're not a swimmer, but you know a swimmer and you want to come and bike or run, that's fine. Um, and also too, they had a, a kid's race as well um, on that mm-hmm. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, all of those options really made it attractive because frankly, I don't know how you got introduced to triathlon, Lisa, but I was introduced through relay. I was the bike leg of a relay of um, a 70.3. And that's how I got introduced to triathlon. And then I started back at the beginning and my first triathlon was a pool sprint triathlon in Baltimore city. And so, you know, it was really a great entree to help people who don't really understand how triathlon works. I I think the options were really um, a big key Mm -hmm. to getting a lot of people there. Didn't they have an aqua bike also? Oh, goodness. Yes, I forgot about that. Aqua bike at all distances as well, Mm -hmm. which was really Mm -hmm. great for those that, you know, folks that I've been noticing folks that are really seasoned, strong triathletes, but now may not be able to run for whatever reasons. The aqua bike is the thing. I mean, that is really a great offering. Yeah. Um, I've even seen not this race in particular, but I've seen another race where they even have an aqua bike finish line. So instead of having to go back to T2, rack your bike and then Oh, hum, walk back over to the finish line. I've even seen, seen some races that had a finish line at the bike for the aqua oh, bikers. Okay. So it That's really nice. felt like a true yeah. finish. Yeah. So, you know, th- that I, I think the distances had a really big deal, um, a, a big attraction for folks. Okay. Um, so that was another big key to it. Um, I really appreciated for those that are skittish about swimming. Um, a lot of people don't know my story around that, but I learned how to swim um, when I was extremely pregnant with my now seven-year-old Kendrick. Um, and so I was an adult learner. Um, yeah. So all the feels when it comes to conquering open water swim, especially in a fast moving river. And so instead of kind of ostracizing folks that are new to swim, especially open water swim, they had uh, two different color caps and I, I, I'm hoping they weren't gendered, but maybe they were. Um, there was a pink cap, there was a bright yellow cap And then they had a red cap and they didn't ostracize folks for being skittish about the swim. They just basically said the red was for people who want extra eyes on them. Mm. And I love that because the, just the psychological game of knowing that there are kayakers that are going to be on my ass from beginning to end. And I'm not saying your own escort, but you know, people are looking out for you the whole way. I I think that gives some psychological advantage to folks. I've never heard of that before. And so the red cap peeps were they they weren't all they didn't all begin together right the red cap people no. were filtered into their various ages that's right so that's great too right you're not pulling them out as a separate group and saying here here not are the all. people that don't like swimming right yeah. exactly oh, they were all okay. over the place and i mean i i admittedly i'm i am a scaredy cat i admit it completely so i've now done four half iron mans and i still get a red cap just because it gives me psychological confidence it just does And so it doesn't ostracize people. You don't have to start in a separate wave. You're filtered in where you want to be. We, we started two by two. It was completely fine based on um, faster to not as fast. Um, And we got in the water two by two and it was fine. And so I really appreciated that psychological advantage um, for everybody that wanted one. So, you know, a lot of folks, we know during that time of year, June, July, Water is going to be very warm, which means that even if you're already skittish, you're probably even more skittish because we can pretty much guarantee no wetsuit for you. So it's, mm, it's truly a psychological yeah. advantage. Yeah. 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 That's a really great and very small thing that a race director or organization could 
institute, right? It seems mm-hmm. so simple and so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems so simple. I mean, you're going to have to order swim caps anyway. Why not order a handful that are one specific color, you know? Um, and then, you know, other things they did for us, you know, they had a really great brunch. Um, so this was a two day uh, race. So the sprint and the kids race was on Saturday and then Olympic and uh, 70.3 distance was on Sunday. After the sprint race, there was a really nice brunch. And that br- brunch was coordinated between our um, our club president as well as the race director and then also an outside sponsor. And we were able to have a fun, a very fun panel of, you know, some of our tri-royalty. You know, we had Khadija Diggs, who is a Muslima who started her own organization called DISC to get more um, athletes who like to fully cover into triathlon. So she was there. I just adore her. Um, we also had Sika Henry. We all know Sika and we love her. So glad you were there, Sika. She was there along with her mom uh, telling us how she accidentally won a full marathon. How about that? Um, pre- pretty much she got she got so far out on the race and she was feeling not so great, but she was too far to uh, be at an aid station. So she oh either my. ran herself back or, I mean, what are you going to do, right? So anyway, wow. she accidentally ran, uh, won her marathon. So she talked about that. And um, and then, of course, we had uh, Colonel Spencer to talk about her experience. She's an eight-time uh, 140.6 finisher. And she talked about that and some of the things that she did well and some of the things she didn't do so well. Um, some of her shortfalls and what it taught her about respecting the distance. Um, I believe she mentioned that she DNF'd her second full iron because she underestimated what it would take to do it again. And so what she learned from that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those types of conversations and panels from people who look like you have similar experiences as you make a huge difference. And I'm not saying it wasn't work, but again, you know, it's going to take more than just a discount code to bring more new different people to racing. You know, it's just going to take more than that. Um, Our, you know, my friends and I, you know, we agreed that, you know, uh, I'm not saying I'm offended. We'll take the discount code. However, it's not about the money at that point. It's about the experience, um, which I think is important as well. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that a lot, right? Because oftentimes inclusivity initiatives at races are really about numbers or bodies, right? Can we get more of X group here? And one of the easiest ways or um, presumed to be the best way to do that is to offer discounts. And that gets you a certain way, I would imagine, um, but it doesn't get you the whole way because then if you go to the race, even with your discounted entry and you have a crappy experience because someone shouts at you because you're kneeling or some, you know, someone makes fun of you because you have a bucket in transition that you need to sit on because you can't reach your feet otherwise, you know, then you're not going to mm. come back. That discounted entry doesn't mean shit, right? That's so right. Um, right. all those other pieces that you need to kind of scaffold around or in addition to a discounted entry, perhaps, is what Absolutely. it's and it sounds like this Rep3 race um, mm-hmm. has has at least attempted to provide some of that scaffolding. Yeah, and I think as soon as you said a, attempted, the word that came to my mind was adapted. You know, they adapted. They oh, adapted right. and they were right. responsive to the needs of everyone uh, that really wanted to take part in triathlon. And so I just really appreciate how responsive they were, how they listen to those of us that wanted to come back. And, you know, what I think is really important too, you know, there, there was also a team 
uh, like Dick and Rick Hoyt that were racing as well. And, you know, some of us just stood at the finish and just wept watching, um, hopefully not making that inspiration porn necessarily. But once again, I've been at races where teams like that were easily included because it was already built into the registration form, et cetera, et cetera, versus kind of being outed or othered because they have to send a special email to the race director and they da, 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 da. And sometimes they send the email to the race director and nobody responds for like two weeks. And, you know, it, I really love that this race was attentive, responsive, adaptive to anybody Mm -hmm. that wanted to take part. And frankly, I think part of it that really, um, made an impact on me because I've done this race before. This was my third, I think, third or fourth time doing this particular race um, was that the folks around us who were not part of our tri-team that said we made a world of difference in their racing. And it kind of goes to, you know, back to what we talk about in higher yeah. ed about inclusive excellence, where yeah. when you're more inclusive, everybody's experience is better. Yeah. Yeah. So when the the white guy is running out of T2 saying, wait a minute, y'all were singing and dancing at the start. I want y'all to keep singing and dancing because I'm having a great day because of y'all. You know, you set the mood, you set the tone for the race for everybody. And we're so glad that you're here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, again, I just think that what if we made these small tweaks <laughs> and I'm not saying race directors go run out and, you know, order a big box of red swim caps, but, but I am saying consider those small things that wouldn't hurt to do that would yeah. make a huge difference. You know, and it also makes me think of um, our conversation with Lisa Steptoe a while back about her tri club and, and the, mm. assess- the assessment piece, right? Like sending out a survey. Yes. She yes. did it for her tri club to learn what would be useful or beneficial or helpful. Um, and I rarely, rarely see surveys come out from um, triathlons I've participated in, um, mm. either to just generally get um, athletes uh, mm. kind of knowledge or information about what could they do better or what they liked, right? But then also like after the race, right? You participated in this race last weekend. We want to hear from you. Here's a very short survey, right? And if you complete it, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free race entry or something. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's just my part of the world and you have a different experience, but I'm just not, I'm not seeing any effort on the part of race directors to Mm. really gather kind of more widespread feedback versus the Um, one-on-one interactions that race directors tend to have at the races by people who come up to them and say, this didn't work or this did, right? Like, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, and, and let me reflect on your point because I, I recall two, two companies that do a really good job of the assessment after the fact, one of which we've already, I've, I've raved about for many, uh, for many podcasts, um, Delmo sports up in Jersey. They do a really great job. The survey is almost in your email box before you can even get home from the race, which I so appreciate. And it's pretty lengthy. Um, and then the only other one, which, you know, maybe I should put some money in the insurance jar, but um, the only one that I've seen other than that has been um, when I've done Ironman branded 70.3 races and they weren't surveys of how did we do? What can we change? It was the one rare case where I had a DNF and they said, Hey, we want you to spend your money to come back and do it again. That's not assessment. Oh, right. Right now. See what I mean? 
So, you know, and, and again, that's not to completely bash the brand. It's just to say, I don't recall there, there's nothing to even critique there because not enough folks have done the assessment. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I know that USA Triathlon has like an annual member survey and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the running club RRCA, the national kind of organization, they do it too. And there's other like bigger organizations that do either once a year or every two years, but on a local Mm. level, I mean, you think about it's not, it's not expensive to do a survey. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of um, platforms out there that offer free survey options, you know, that you could send to your participants. And then, you know, that enables you to get feedback that you might otherwise not hear. Right. Yeah. Um, Yep. I think I may have mentioned this already on a podcast, but I know that one race director here, like in their emails after the fact saying, thank you, was like, if you Mm. have any feedback first, just email, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to email you because then my name is attached to it. And you know who I like, I have anything negative, even if I frame it in the most constructive way, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is that? Like the shit sandwich where you say something good and then you say something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like right, right, right. mildly negative and then you have to end it with something good you know right, like right. I'm just not going to do that and I wouldn't imagine that I'm the only person that felt that way and so therefore my mm-hmm. guess is you probably don't hear many um negative critiques or suggestions for change you're just going to hear the good stuff yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, that's certainly I think that's another area that um races could do mm-hmm. to over time shift their climate and dynamic to something more inclusive more representative mm-hmm. of the people who are racing yeah and and then what then happens when you don't pay attention to those voices listen to those voices and respond to those voices people then vote with their feet and they go to other races that are more inclusive so you right. know they decide they're not going to spend that kind of money with a race that's not attentive to what they need. And, and, you know, I think that's where, you know, the rubber meets the road. I think the livelihood of racing could hinge upon the back of how strong assessment is, because if you don't know who's racing with you or who's not racing with you, then you can't anticipate or at least steer the future of the sport. Right. Because if I'm, if I'm looking at, you know, data from my last race, for example, and I see, oh, we literally don't have any uh, self-identified Latinx individuals in my race. Thank you for giving me that data so that I can see that gap. So now I can do my own research, find out if there are any local uh, race race teams or clubs that have a heavy emphasis on, on Latina or Latinx perspectives. You know, that gives me really good information and it gives you kind of a map of what to do next. Right, but if you, right. you know, I, I, I stick to this, stick to this. I've been doing assessment for a very long time. What I will say is the, the golden rule on this, you don't ask the questions you don't want the answer to. If you never do assessment, that means you never know your challenges or your strengths, right, right. which then means you never have to do anything about it. And you can claim ignorance. That's not okay. It's just mm-hmm, not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I- yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think also there was a high percentage of women at your race, right? What was that number? Yeah, so the the last post that I looked at on social media was mid-April and it was already almost 60% then. So, you know, given that, mm-hmm. unless we had a lot of last minute folks that did not identify as women, 
but it was overwhelmingly women, which I think was incredible. Um, So, you know, I I just think that they've done a lot of things right. (laughs) They've done a lot of things right. And I, you know, I've been practically begging for a model of like, what would the perfectly inclusive uh, event look like? And this is getting real close, real close. Well, I'm paying attention, right? So presumably they have at some point paid attention to the gender disparity in triathlon and tried to rectify it. And then it's reminding me of an outreach that um, Outspoken and Shift Sports got from a triathlon on the East Coast. Someone new Mm. started working at the triathlon, a woman, and she noticed that um, of over the over 2000 people who had registered for the race, 23% of them identified as women and so she was like outreaching to every woman's organization she could put her hands on to try and encourage more women to participate right so she noticed Mm. that that was a problem and so that begs the question well prior to her (laughs) did this particular race not pay any attention to that um because Mm. this is the first Mm -hmm. time I've you know I've heard from this particular so I mean that's absolutely you know so you have to think it's you have to have that lens, right? And yeah, yeah, that's it right. sounds like this woman does at this race and it sounds like the race directors you've encountered in your races mm-hmm. do too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, the, and that's why I, you know, for me, I'm grateful that they seem to be following the data. They're responsive uh, to what uh, tri clubs are looking for, endurance sport clubs are looking for. And really, you know, the only couple of things that I didn't necessarily see, I mean, we even had a, a fantastic Muslima team that was there racing as well and several podiumed. You know, I, the only couple of things that I didn't see that I have seen at past races were um, anyone that might have, uh, might be deaf or blind racing with a guide. I did not see that. And that just made, I, I don't know why, but I did not see that. Um, and then the other thing that a lot of folks are dependent upon, um, I didn't see like an eyeglass table at the swim no, exit for yeah. people that need it. I've, I've seen that at other races. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I think they're very, very close. And I, I would hope that they could be a model. I mean, I think that our club did an excellent job with making it clear this is what we want. But in the absence of a club saying this is what we want, the data could tell you what people want. The right. surveys could tell you what yeah. people want. Um, yeah. So I think that's a partnership. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done, but I think, you know, event planners, race directors should really take some notes. I think so <laughs> too. You did a great and, job. Yeah. And the, I just want to comment on the eyeglass table. How small is that? You put a table at the exit of the swim where you can yep. put your eyeglasses before so you can pick them up. So when you're running, what sometimes right. feels like a marathon to the transition, That's you right. can see where you're going and you're not going to trip up. And the only That's time right. I've seen that was at USAT national championships. I've never seen that at a local race either, but it's, yeah. I mean, how tiny yes. is that and what a difference that's going to make yeah. to people. That's right. Well, and, and for some, let, let me take it to another level, Lisa, for some it's, it's a tiny effort, but a big impact for many. For example, yes. those that actually yeah. do need glasses, may need contacts, what have you. I remember, and I'm going to call this out in the best of ways. I was a volunteer at SWIM for, um, for Ironman Maryland several years ago. There was a gentleman who was a first responder to 9-11 who wore a prosthesis. He did not wear it during the swim, but obviously he needed to put on his prosthesis in order to get to transition to get to his bike. 
So what about those that need prosthesis? Or right, um, right. I've seen another athlete who was a hell of a swimmer that needed a cane to then get to their bike because they were doing the aqua bike, for example. So those types of things, you know, the, I, the eyeglass table is almost a, a misnomer there, but it, it meets several different disenfranchised groups needs in order for them to access racing with simply yeah. a table and maybe a few Ziplocs with a piece of tape on it with your bib number on it. Yeah. And that's about it. I mean, how cheap could that be? Yeah. Um, so these are just a few things to think about, but it, it makes a world of difference for a lot of people that really uh, depend on it. Yeah. And doing it, even if only one person uses it, because a lot of things get like sliced off, right? Well, that's not very popular or no one uses it, but the difference that you're making for that one person is really, really important. Right. And I think that that's another thing that we can do differently is it doesn't have to be a massive volume of people that use this table for A, B or C, right? Right. Providing it sends a message. Yes, exactly. Providing it sends a message and that message may draw more people who would have used it, but didn't because it wasn't available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you might end up building the very population that you've been disenfranchising without knowing it. Absolutely. So, you know, I I just think there's so many, you know, it's kind of like that uh, visual of that one drop in the ocean makes this large ripple effect. I feel Mm -hmm. like this race had a lot of really good drops that made a huge impact and make people want to keep coming back. And so as people were leaving, you know, of course, FOMO is real. The people that didn't come and saw everything on social media were like, holy crap, what's the date for next year? I'm going to be there in 2022. Um, And the repeaters keep coming back. Um, Our numbers uh, more than doubled just for our tri-club alone for people who wanted to come that, you know, I just think that's important. I think they're feeding into the livelihood of our sport. Absolutely. So listen up event planners, race directors. I think there were some top (laughs) tips in this show about little things that you could do that might make a world of difference and actually diversify the group of people who are participating in your race. The Unfazed Podcast and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash Feisty Triathlon. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there.
Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.